0: Your spouses up there, please know if there's any way we can come alongside and care or listen or whatever you may need. Just please let us know. Um, but we we miss them all. We miss them all, and we're grateful that all of them professed faith in Christ and they're with the Lord now. And we get to see them again. And some of them I haven't had a chance to. to I think there was one up there that I hadn't really had a chance to get to know very well. But if you any of you know them and we get to heaven, if you could introduce us, I would, I would be grateful for that because we'll know each other there. Well, let's, uh, let's press on and look at Mark chapter number 10. We're going to be in verses 46 to, uh, to 52. Would you stand as we honor his word together? Mark 10, verses 46 to 52. This is the word of the Lord. And they came to Jericho, and as he was leaving Jericho with his disciples, a great crowd and a great crowd, Bartimaeus, a blind beggar, the son of Timaeus, was sitting by the roadside. And when he heard that it was Jesus of Nazareth, he began to cry out and say, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. And he rebuked him, telling him to be silent, but he cried out all the more, son of David, The grass withers and the flowers fall, but the word of the Lord stands forever. You may be seated. So, I almost felt bad when I was approaching this passage about some of the thoughts that came up in my mind. And maybe you may be feeling the same thing as I was reading through this. So, to let you in on a little way of how I go about doing things. Um, I preach through, by and large, through books. I, I start at the beginning and I go all the way through them. And my thought is, this is how the Holy Spirit laid out the Bible. And he laid it out in an order, in a reasonable fashion. So I'm going to go through that. So I go through it that way. And it prevents me from skipping passages that maybe the culture would find a little bit problematic, which that's one. That's one reason. But another is is that there may be some passages in there that you're followers of Jesus, but you may not be crazy about. And so it prevents me from skipping those passages and to be sure to deal with them. And I was actually tempted to skip this passage. And this is why, is because this is not the first time that we've heard about Jesus healing somebody. It's another healing story. And I began to think, well, what is the value, which, you know, we know Jesus heals people and they get better and then they follow him and and that's great and that's wonderful. What what more could be said about that? It's pretty much the same template. It's the same paradigm that's there. Well, I'm thankful that God drilled that way of going about things in me because I started reading through it and I'm like, well, this is the first time that I remember um, someone being healed knowing their name. Bartimaeus means son of Timaeus, right? So that's what Bar means in, in the Jewish realm. Is son of, so son of Timaeus. Um, he's, sitting, he's sitting by the road. And so I'm like, okay, so why is why why is he saying what he's saying? Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. There's a lot of things he could have said. He could have said, Hey, Jesus, a little help here or something. He could have said Anything along those lines, but he chose to say that. Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. Um, He's sitting by the road. Why is everybody telling him to, to knock it off? Why is everybody telling him to be quiet or worse? Why is everybody doing that to him? Why can't the man just say what he wants to say? Everybody else is talking to Jesus. He's got a crowd all around him. His disciples are talking to him all the time, the crowd's asking him for stuff all the time. Why is everybody telling this one man who's been sitting by the roadside not to say anything? And, and then why is it so significant that Jesus called him? Why is it so significant? You know, I mean, so I, I, you start unpacking all of this, and I'm like, oh there there's some richness that's here. Because all of us are in a position, We there was a gentleman that I, I came by the church, um, I think it was on Thursday into Friday, and there was something that was going on with his car, and he was really hauling just a lot of stuff, and his, his, his truck wasn't really able to handle it. And I got a chance to get to know him uh, a little bit better, and to be able to try to provide what was needed. But I got a chance to talk to him and know him a little bit. And he had had a rough life. I mean, he'd been to been to all sorts of things and been to been to prison, everything like that, and a lot of things against him, but in prison, he found Jesus. He found Jesus because there were some people that came from some churches that held a service, and so he's like, well, I went to that because it was sure better than sitting in my cell, and so I went and listened to him, and I came to know Jesus. Now, he's going to be having a hard time finding a job because of all the things, but he's like, you know, and I, but I started thinking, and I told him, I said, you know what? Outside of Jesus, we're all in prison. We're all in jail. And Jesus is the only, only way and the only key to be able to get us out. And, uh, and it was just a reminder that Jesus isn't looking at your resume. He's not looking at your CV. He's not looking at, okay, well, this guy, boy, he does a lot. He can contribute to society. And Just imagine what could happen. Well, this guy, he really doesn't have much going on. Eh, I'm not going to bother with him. No, that's how we act sometimes. And you may have been on the receiving end of that. You may have acted like that, but you also may have been on the receiving end of that. Well, nobody, no one's going to pay attention to you because of this and that and this and that. I want to encourage you by this passage that everybody else was telling this man to please be quiet. He was part of the background. He had been there for years, and, and he, he had been ignored. He had been rejected. Nobody wanted him to say anything. And yet here Jesus comes up to him, calls him brings them to him and he becomes a follower of Jesus. I think there's some lessons for us here this morning that we, especially those of us that may be in our track of evangelicalism, I think we, there's, some, there's some things that we really need to hear when it comes to this passage. Number one, let's get to work on this. Number one, Jesus sees those we often ignore. we see people all the time and they become part of the scenery whether they're at stop signs or they're by the road or you know you drive downtown and I mean it, sometimes it's part of the scenery and we forget that they are fellow image bearers of god i don't know what, when that happens because i know if we were in that position that that wouldn't be the case i don't know i don't know when that shift hits but When we're looking at this, I know that the disciples are having a hard time with this as well. So, if you look at verse 46, where it talks about, and they came to Jericho, and as he was leaving Jericho with his disciples and a great crowd, Bartimaeus, a blind beggar, the son of Timaeus, was sitting by the roadside. So, a blind beggar. Now, this is in the vapor trail of the previous passage where James and John are handing Jesus their resume, their CV, and saying, you know what, uh, Jesus, we have one question. When you begin to establish your kingdom, we, would you please put us, James and John, on your right and on your left? That's a position of influence. That's a position of power. That's it. When you look at Jesus, your eye line doesn't have to go too far left or right and you'll see James and John. If Jesus needs some advice, he's not going to have to get up and go down to the end of the line. He'll have James and John to just lean over and talk to. You see? And they wanted to be in that position because they thought that's what it was about, is that if I'm going to follow Jesus, that he's going to make everything great. And for some of you, Dad, you, and I may not, you may not remember this conversation that we had, but I've, I've shared it a couple of times. Well, I've been here 12 years. I've probably shared everything like 10 times. But, but when I became a Christian and when I surrendered to ministry, and Dad didn't come to Christ until he was 47, and I asked him, I said, did you find your life easier before you became a Christian or after? Do you remember this conversation? And the conversation was, well, it was easier before because I only had me to think about. Now, when you're a Christian, there's a lot of things to think about, but you're resting in Christ, but there's a lot of things to think about, and you're fighting your flesh, and you're fighting the world, and you're fighting the devil that's trying to take you away from good things, God things. And so all of this is going on, and, we're, and, we're, and you press on with this, and people think, but, but Jesus, and you think, well, of course, if I come to Christ, everything's going to go better. There will be pieces that will, because you're going to have an anchor that is going to help you to be able to withstand the storms that are going to happen to you internally and externally. You're going to have that anchor, right? The anchor holds. We hear songs that use that metaphor all the time. But Jesus is saying in verse 42, you know of chapter 10, it would help if I told you, where we were mark 10 verses 42 to 45 you know that those who are considered rulers of the gentile gentiles lorded over them and their great ones exercise authority over them but it shall not be so among you whoever would be great among you must be your servant whoever would be first among you must be slave of all and even the son of man came not to serve but to be served came to be served but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many And so it's here that now, why is this passage where it is? It is because the disciples, Bartimaeus was going to benefit from this, of course, but he needed to teach the disciples that this is the way. This is how we go. We look for the vulnerable. We look for the disenfranchised. Jesus said, blessed are the poor in spirit, those who are destitute, those who don't think they have, who know they don't have anything to offer God, and yet here God comes in and lavishes his grace and lavishes his mercy. Why do we need to know this? Now, a couple of weeks ago, I mentioned to you something about Tim Keller, and all of us who, who were beneficiaries of Tim Keller's ministry are grieving right now. He is, he's now with the Lord. He uh, succumbed to that battle of, um, of pancreatic cancer. But he, he lived in Manhattan where there was a, a, a significant poor contingent along with a significant elite contingent there. And he talked about different reasons why people are poor. And one of the reasons is injustice and oppression. This refers to any unjust social condition or treatment that keeps a person in poverty. And he he reminded us that the Hebrew word for poor in the Old Testament can often mean wrongfully oppressed. And and those things happen. Those systems, we can't deny that that there are systems like that in place. We We can't deny that. Now, there's also circumstantial calamity, where it refers to any natural disaster, so famine or disabling injury or flood or fire, anything along that line. People can become poor because of that, or people can lose their jobs um, unjustly. And a lot of a lot of people in our situation in our country are two paychecks away from the street. You know, you got to we got to see this. Now, there are examples of personal failure where it's due to laziness or a lack of self-discipline those things can be in place all but but it could be any of those things and what we tend to do and keller mentions this he said conservatives sometimes see poverty as caused by personal irresponsibility exclusively if you're poor get a job If you're, just do it, but there may be other factors. And what we do is there's this reductionism that we have. We reduce everybody. We look at somebody, take a snapshot, and we put their whole personal narrative in there. And then we go on our merry way. The other side, the ones who are who are not conservatives, liberals, progressives, whatever, however you want to determine that, liberals in general see poverty as caused by unjust social systems. Poor individuals have no way to escape. Well, that doesn't necessarily follow either, right? So what we do is we use our filter, take a snapshot, and then just cover everybody with how we think things are going to go. Jesus didn't do that because what did Jesus do? Well, we're going to find out later that Jesus actually went up and talked to them and found out what their story is. Now, he's God, he already knew, but he gives us that example to not put people in this box, right? And that gives us an excuse to ignore them based upon our political affiliation. And then we and then we just move on feeling very satisfied with ourselves but it's about the relationships. It's about getting to know people where they are and not fitting them into your box. Have, I, have we made that point? So that's, what, that, that's where the second point comes in, is that Jesus hears those that we try to silence. Jesus hears, though, that we try to silence. I, I love this. Because clearly, while Bartimaeus' eyesight was problematic, um, his hearing was really good. His his lungs and his diaphragm and his mouth was working in full order. Oh, it was, it was it was a it was a monster what he was doing. And so you look at this in verse forty seven. And when he heard right that it was Jesus of Nazareth, he began to cry out right because every so often we were watching the show where it was a reminder that when one sense goes away, the others elevate escalate. Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. And many rebuked him, telling him to be silent. But he cried out what? All the less? Oh, okay, guys. Nope. He did not care what anybody else was saying about what he was saying. He was going to make sure that Jesus heard him. And he cried out all the more, son of David, have mercy on me. I think this. There, there's something about this passage that really... Makes, makes me just be more, want to be more like Bartimaeus. Because we all get affected by what other people think of us. If, you know, whether it's family, friends, educators, you know, people that we respect, we, we, we sometimes allow ourselves to kind of fall in line with what they want and we end up losing the center of what we're supposed to be doing. We allow ourselves to be pulled and tugged in every direction when we just sometimes need to stop and ask ourselves, is this really what Jesus is wanting me to do? Well, I've got to find out. Jesus, Son of David, have mercy on me. Two things here. Well, first, this is one of the few, if only times in Mark, that Jesus is referred to as Jesus of Nazareth. That's what the narrator says, right? When he heard it, when he heard that it was Jesus of Nazareth, he began to cry out. Now, if you know anything about the the New Testament, to be called a Nazarene, those of you that may know, you teachers, right? You're used to talking. This is your opportunity right now. Yes or no? You could ask me, a Nazarene, good thing, bad thing. You got a 50-50 shot. Just let it fly, man. Come on. It was bad, right? So if you were called a Nazarene, you were despised. Now, you're like, well, that's terrible to have a name like that. Well, let me just ask you this. Some of you may have that when you think about a certain part of the country. I could say California. I could say Texas. I could say the South. I mean, some of you might think it's good. Some of you might think it's bad. What I'm saying is, thank you for that, is that you helped provide an association Because because when you when you hear something, there's an immediate thing, and I'm not saying Texas is bad or good. I'm not saying California is bad or good. I'm saying is that we all have those associations one way or the other. And so, hey, listen. When people hear that I'm from that my last stop was Kentucky, you'd be shocked at some of the responses. Oh, you were, were you? And they, you know, and they and they start getting into this hayseed type of, like, what are you doing? I'm like, you just proved my point. So we have to be really, really careful. So when we're looking at Nazarene, there's an immediate association. Now, if you're from there, you're like, hey, quit talking about where I'm from if you're not from there, then whatever it is, this is what ended up happening. It's, that's why in John 1, 45 and 46, when Philip runs up to Nathanael, I found Jesus of Nazareth, who's the one we've been waiting for. What did he say? Can anything good come out of Nazareth? Not positive. And so, when we're seeing this here, Jesus understood what it meant to be despised and rejected. And so that's why he gravitated to those who were despised and rejected. And how how it's happened with us as Christians who are part of the church that want to be somebody all the time, want people to think so well of us, well, when that happens, there's going to be a compromise that we're going to be tempted to engage in because the more we lean into Jesus, the less we're going to be seen well of in our culture as winsome as we want to be and i think there is a winsomeness there when they start seeing some of the values and the principles and the truths that we hold the culture is not going to want to have any part of it and you've got a choice is it going to be as for me and my house we will serve the lord or is it going to be there is no king in the land and everyone does what's right in his own eyes we have we have that choice to make but when i see the cross and i see the empty tomb i don't think that there is a choice I think it's so patently obvious that if Jesus is who he says he is, then he is all that we need. He is more than enough because he is is the answer to the, the things that are plaguing and ailing this broken world, which everybody agrees is broken. Everybody agrees with that. But when we see the the answers that are being brought forth, it's always, well, you've got to do better. You've got to do better. You've got to do better. I can't find my keys in the morning, and I'm going to rely on me to try to make me better, much less the rest of the world. But there's one who did. And Jesus is coming along. And, and look, at, look at what is being said by Bartimaeus. Jesus. What's that? That, that means Savior. That means Messiah. That means Deliverer. Well, son of David, that means he's my king. That's why those genealogies that you ignore in Matthew and Luke are so important. Because it shows that, and it shows from the Old Testament, that Jesus is coming from the line and, and the lineage of David, he's a king who's going to be sitting on the throne and next time you read revelation everybody you're spending all your time trying to figure out what, the, what everything every little thing means and, and and all don't miss the primary object that's in revelation it's a throne it's a throne and everything that's going on is centered around that throne he's on it he's in control that's what it means to be son of David. But there's also a priestly aspect as well. Have mercy on me. James and John thought their resume qualified them to be a part of the kingdom. And then here comes old Bartimaeus coming along saying, I don't have a resume. I don't have anything that I can offer you. There's nothing that I, nothing in my, that old hymn, nothing in my hands I bring simply to thy, that, thy cross I cling that's where we are. And so Bartimaeus comes along and everybody's trying to tell him to be quiet. Why? Well, what qualifications do you have? You're interrupting the proceedings. We're having a crowd here and the disciples are trying to be discipled and the crowd is, is, is crowding around seeing if Jesus is going to do something cool again. And here's old Bartimaeus. Hey, Bartimaeus, you're interrupting stuff. But Bartimaeus was intuitive, wasn't it? And he wasn't ignorant. He got it right. Be careful when you dismiss somebody, when they're speaking truth and you dismiss them because of their qualifications. I've been around places where people didn't, like if, if there's a music leader and they didn't have a degree, well, I'm not going to sit under him. Or, or it, it, you know, someone is new to a church, an established church, say, and they're new and they try to raise their hand in a meeting A business meeting and contribute. Well, you can't say anything or contribute unless you've been here 25 years. There was a church that I was in, and that is a direct quote. I'm not making that up. I try not to do that when I'm behind here. And I really don't try to do that anywhere else either. I'm not making that up. We look at at people, take a snapshot, and see, well, it doesn't matter if you're saying truth. It depends on who you are, not what you're saying. Bartimaeus was spitting truth here. He was telling them exactly what they needed to hear, and they were trying to keep, have him be quiet and Jesus comes over and says, "Call him over here it's one thing for us to call on Jesus, isn't it? Boy, when Jesus calls us has your is, is your life ever the same after Jesus calls you? ooh Sometimes it is, a, it is a beautiful time. It is a, it's, a, it's always a beautiful time, but it's a beautiful time, a peaceful time, a tranquil time when, when the Lord visits you in that way. But I know when God called me into the ministry, I knew it was going to upset the apple cart on, on a lot of different things, and that was tough. And I had to sort through a lot of different things and get a lot of different counsel on that. So sometimes when God calls you, it disrupts you. Do you want that? Sometimes may call, God may call you to obedience. You know how you're supposed to be doing this. Why are you going over here making excuses in my name? Take care of business here. I've been clear. But sometimes God calls you to do that, and it's tough because you think, well, what's the ramifications? Here's the ramification. If you're not being faithful to what God is calling you to do, any other ramification is pittance. It's nothing. The ramification is you're being unfaithful to the true and living God who is holy. We sang it, right? You said it. You're it, holy, holy, holy. And when God speaks about something, move, onward, let's go. And when he hasn't spoken about something, then we wait. But we make sure that we are taking care of business the way it, are, the way it is. And that's where number three comes in. Jesus rescues those we think are too far gone. Now, here's the thing. You may be thinking, well, I think that person's too far gone. I don't think, though, for a lot of us that that's where we are. I think sometimes we may think we're too far gone. The person looking back in the mirror, you're too far gone. The truth is, that's not it. Everybody else was, had, had already labeled Blind Bartimaeus. Blind Bartimaeus. Oh, by the way, read John 9. Because when the man born blind approached Jesus, what did the disciples say as a sidebar? What did the disciples say? Was it this man who sinned or was it his parents? Because they thought that if you're blind and you have this malady like this, that you must have done something wrong. And Jesus said it wasn't neither his parents nor he who sinned, but it is so that God may be glorified. And that is not being sadistic on God's part that he's going to send you through hard times in order for him to be glorified. No, he's going to send you through hard times. And yeah, it may be a struggle right now, but the struggle is worth knowing him. And being with him and seeing what he's doing, and knowing that our light and momentary afflictions are preparing for us a weight of glory beyond all comparison as we look not to the things that are seen, but to the things that are unseen. The things that are seen are what? Temporary, transient, passing. But the things that are eternal, the things that are unseen, they're eternal. So we're, we're Christians that are out of step with the world because we're looking to something that we haven't seen yet, but we know it's real. Bartimaeus was blind. He didn't see it, but he knew he was real. He was there. Call him. And you know what else was working? Wasn't just his ears that were working really well. It wasn't just his his lungs and his diaphragm and his, and his throat that was working really well. It says there that in verse 50 that throwing off his cloak, he sprang up. Legs are working just fine. He sprang up and came to Jesus and said to him, and Jesus said to him, what do you want me to do for you? And of course, Bartimaeus is looking to the physical. Rabbi, let me recover my sight. Jesus said to him, go your way. Your faith has made you well. Go your way. So, if he wasn't a disciple of Jesus, what would have happened was, is that you go your way. Okay, Jesus, you're going you're gonna, to you're gonna heal me. Thank you for healing me, Jesus. Doop to doop to doop to do. Go your way. Yeah, Jesus did exactly what I wanted to do. He healed me. I can see, I can see, I can see. And then on he goes. But where did he decide to go? How about that? That's the way. That's the way. When you know that Jesus has rescued you. Physically, yes, but ultimately we're going to die. We remembered these things. You could be healed and 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 healed until one day you are going to die. And then you're got to stand before the judgment seat and give an account. And if Jesus is on your account, come ye, blessed of my Father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the earth. If you say, No. Depart from me, you cursed ones, into everlasting fire, prepared for the devil and his angels. Because of the least of these, how we deal with the least of these. I hope this is still up. I hope this is still up. Well, it's not. So what I'm going to do in front of a whole lot of people is I want to pull up the words to a hymn. Boy, that's amazing. I can pull up words to a hymn just like that on the phone. I, I'll never get used to that. I know we've been able to do this for 20 years. I'll never get used to that. But when I was growing up, whenever we would have a funeral, um, one of the dearest men on earth, a guy named Tom Maley, he's with the Lord now, right? Is that right? He's with the Lord? Not too long ago, 92. But he was the first pastor that we had when we went to, um, when we went to Florida. Well, second, Brother Leggett, forgot about him. But he came soon after And he would always quote this hymn. And I can't quote a hymn, especially with my mom in the room, dry. So we're going to see how this goes. It's going to be probably high entertainment value. Does Jesus care when my heart is pained, too deeply for mirth or song? When the burdens press and the cares distress and the way grows weary and long? Does Jesus care when my way is dark with a nameless dread and fear? and as the daylight fades into deep dark shades does he care enough to be near does jesus care when i've tried and failed to resist some to, to resist some temptation strong when my when my deep when for when my deep grief i can read for when my deep grief there's no relief though the tears flow all the night long does jesus care when i've said goodbye to the dearest on earth to me. And my sad heart aches till it nearly breaks. Is it aught to him does he see? And if you, the chorus, oh yes, he cares. I know he cares. His heart is touched with my grief. When the days are weary, the long nights dreary. I know my Savior cares. You may not be a blind beggar, but you are in a position outside of Christ to where the only thing you have to rely upon is His mercy. And you think, well, how could God be merciful to me given what I've said, what I've thought, what I've done? I tell you, That there are gonna be times when you know we make lemonade and we drink the lemonade and sometimes the lemonade runs out and we have to go to the store and get some more lemonade and make the lemonade and and keep going and it runs out. I drive a car, fuel, it runs out. I gotta go, I gotta pay for the fuel, so my car will keep running, da da da. All of these things. The thing with with Jesus, there is never gonna be a time when his mercy runs out. His mercy overfloweth from Psalm 23. Well, I don't deserve it. Right. That's what mercy is. Grace is receiving something you don't deserve. Mercy is not receiving something you do deserve. What do you deserve? You deserve to be cast out, depart from me, everlasting fire, devil and his angels. Jesus comes along and says, No, you are my child. If you have confessed and repented of your sin and you've trusted in the work that I have done through my son upon the cross, you will be restored, you will be rescued, and you will be with me. But we've got to turn. When God calls, it's a life change. He's not an add on, He's not a plug and play. When we turn to Christ, it, is, it can be a hard step. It can be a difficult step. There may be a lot that you have to give up, but when you see what you are bringing on in Christ, all of those things are just nothing in comparison to the glory and the beauty and the majesty of all that Jesus is. He cares. We're all sitting by the, ro- by the roadside. We're beggars. We're blind. We're all here. We're all Bartimaeus. And Jesus says, come over here and follow me. So when Bartimaeus said, you know, go your way, your faith has made you well, Gloria, you said it. And immediately he recovered his sight and followed him on the way. So his way is our way, our way is his way. Where are you this morning? Do you know that Jesus cares? I hope that this morning you will give your all to all that he is. Let me pray for you. Help us, Father, as we realize where we are, Guide us, Lord, as we realize that, oh, yes, you care. I know you care. Your heart is touched with my grief. When the days are weary, the long nights dreary, I know that you, my Savior, care. Help us, Lord, as we move forward. As we get ready to sing about a land that is fairer, that is more beautiful, that is more lovely than any day that's here. That the greatest day that we have here will be nothing compared to our worst day in heaven. And we thank you, Father, that there is a Savior, Jesus, that as we call upon him, that he comes and calls upon us to, He loves us. Help us, Lord, in all that we do and say. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. I mentioned to you Tim Keller, but there was one thing where he said, and I hope I get this right, it just ran across my head. And one thing he said was, is that when we are Christians, it's like a child waking up a king at three o'clock in the morning to ask for a glass of water. And that's the type of access we have to Jesus. He's our king and he's always there, always accessible. Mm -hmm. Will you come to him this morning and trust him with all that you have based upon all that he's done on your behalf? Let's stand together and sing this wonderful song as we commit our lives to Jesus this morning. Thank you.